And God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today on this beautiful Pentecost Sunday. I am so grateful to be able to uh, bring today's message to you um, on this beautiful day. Pentecost Sunday is a day that we remember the birth of our church, the church, right? Not necessarily Mission Church, although Mission Church has a great history, and I'm looking forward to sharing that history with you in the weeks to come. But today is really the birth of the New Testament church, and what a beautiful and great story that is. It's also a day that we focus in on the role and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' disciples to begin the first church on the day of Pentecost. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 because there is the story of Pentecost right there. And so I invite you to open your Bibles uh, to that Pentecost Sunday for the Christian church. It's celebrated on the seventh Sunday after Easter, and today is, is that day. So we are celebrating Pentecost Sunday today. Thank you. Children, do you guys want to hear about the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got so carried away. Children, you are dismissed to go to Sunday school. As you hear the children joyfully celebrating, finally, parents are celebrating. Thank you, Molly, for reminding me of that. I appreciate that. Oh. So, let me find my place again. <laughs> the Holy Spirit at work uh, in Pentecost. But, you know, before Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit was already present and was already at work. And if we go all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 1, we already know that the Holy Spirit was at work in creation. Because there in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Something that's important for all of us to know and understand is that the Holy Spirit was present at the creation of the world. He was already there. And when we turn many pages and we get into the New Testament... We see the Holy Spirit at work already in, in so many different ways. Uh, we know that Mary became pregnant with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit at working in, in her life. And after Jesus was born, the Holy Spirit said to Simeon that before you die, you will be able to hold and see the Messiah, the Savior. And also, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. And so we know that the Holy Spirit was already at work in so many different ways, but we don't see the, the, the big manifestation of the Holy Spirit yet. But in John chapter 20, after Jesus was crucified and appeared to his disciples again, there's this beautiful passage in verse 21 in John chapter 20 where Jesus appears to his disciples and he says to them, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Powerful. And at that point, Jesus is, is giving 
to his disciples, the Holy Spirit. But the fullness and then the manifestation of the Holy Spirit takes place a few pages later as we turn into the book of Acts. And so, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And here we see Luke continuing his correspondence with Theophilus, who he wrote the Gospel of Luke to. And, uh, and this, is, this is the continuation of the story of Jesus that goes beyond the Gospel. And he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he said this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And in verse 8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the world. And what Jesus does here is he prepares his disciples for what will happen on the day of Pentecost. And so we just turn the page over to Acts chapter 2 and we see the beginnings of the powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit happening in the work of the disciples' lives. And so in Acts chapter 2, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so this amazing uh, event that took place in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes onto the disciples that were gathered there. They were, in, they, were, they were afraid. They were in hiding. But then they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And from there they go out into uh, Jerusalem where... Thousands and thousands of Jews came back to celebrate Pentecost. And they went out and began to share the gospel of the good news of Jesus. And they were speaking in, in other people's languages. And everyone could understand them in their own language. Which was amazing. Miraculous. And then, this is, this is, this is where it gets really, really exciting. Simon Peter stands up. And he begins to preach the first the, 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 the sermon on the day of Pentecost. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, he steps out on faith, risks everything, risks his life, really, to share this amazing message because this came at a very, very dangerous time. They had just crucified Jesus not long ago. And this is Jesus' continuing ministry that came out of hiding to do this. And the question you ask is, why did they do it, right? Because 
Paul, uh, Simon Peter was empowered to preach the gospel. That's true. He was empowered to preach it. But I think that there's more to this than just being empowered to preach the good news by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the numbers that day. That is an amazing day. If, if God was ever to allow me to go back in time and, and stand in the pages of the Bible to see what was happening, this would be one of those days that I'd ask God. I'd love to see what happened on that day. So exciting that the Holy Spirit moved in such an amazing way. And the church was born right there. That's the birth of the New Testament church. And here's something that I, I want us to all take hold of as we look at this passage of Scripture. That what Jesus told his disciples would happen, actually happened, right? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and eventually in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And when Jesus said that to them, it hadn't happened yet. But then as we read in Acts chapter 2, it takes place. They go out empowered and they preach. And, and you see the story of the birth of the New Testament church. This is truly, truly amazing. They received power and they became authentic Witnesses, which we talked about that last Sunday. And as a result, thousands of people's lives were changed. Wow. And so, I want to take a moment today to talk about power. Because we see that the Holy Spirit is associated with power. Jesus said that in Acts chapter 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But I want to caution us today, before we go too far, to be careful how we understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when you just, it's not just today, but I, I suppose that this has gone on for all of history, all of human history. But we're living in today and, and we see it very, very clearly. And that is this, everybody wants power. That's true, Right? You, you see it, you hear it in the news. Everybody wants power. And we all want power because power enables us to accomplish things that otherwise we couldn't do. Right? If you can't do something, but you're given power, you're enabled by power to do it, then what you couldn't do before, now you can do. And that's why people desire power so much. That's what allures people to power. That's the power of power. You can do things other, which otherwise you cannot do. And there's all kinds of different things that are associated with power, right? Um, there, are, there are people who are physically powerful, right? They have bulging muscles and you see them, they're strong and, and, uh, and, and power can be used for good. But we also know that there's a dark side to power. And so with physical strength and power, um, you know, I'm not that strong of a guy, honestly. There are people much stronger than me. But when I was younger, people would ask me all the time, Hey, hey Gordon, can I borrow your truck? And I said, oh, because I had a truck. Sure. Oh, can you help me move? <laughs> like, oh. And so, okay. And so, with power, you help people move things. You carry things, right? And, and power is also used to protect people, right? You can use power to protect people from dangerous animals, or all kinds of other things. So power, there's a good side to power. 
But honestly, there, there's, a, there's a dark side to physical power as well, too. People with physical power oftentimes intimidate others for their own purpose. Bullying happens n- not by timid people, but by people who ex- exert physical power. And physical power, sadly, oftentimes hurts other people as well, too. So there's a positive side, and then there's a dark side to power. There's influential power and power in position. And, you know, there's a lot of good in that. If you have power to influence people and you have a position where you can speak into people's lives and where they can listen, you have the power to unite people and do great things in your unity to help all mankind. And and there are people that are out there that do that. But far too often we find people who have position and who have influence to use their power to divide and conquer. And when they conquer, it's so that they can get more power. And we see that a lot today. We see power happen with information. We see power happen with finances. There's good and bad to power in so many different ways. And thus, I get to a name that I didn't know about, but I know the quote that this person said. The name of the person is Lord John Dalberg Acton. Not many of you know that name, but you know his quote. In 1887, John Dalberg Acton, Lord John Dalberg Acton, wrote to the Anglican Bishop Creighton, and this is what he wrote. The same moral standard should be applied to all people, political and religious, Uh, These leaders included because, and here's the famous quote by Lord Acton, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. You guys all heard that, uh, that quote before. But what you probably don't know is that there was a, a quote that followed after this as well too. And in that quote, Acton writes at the end of this, he says, great men are almost always bad men. Hmm. Interesting, huh? The warning here is that of, of what power does to people. Right? Our world has a lust for power. And when you lust power for your own sake, it always leads to great harm. And so that's why I wanted to be careful. When we talk about the power that the Holy Spirit uh, gives, I I want us to proceed understanding what that power is and what it's used for. The quote that Lord Acton left us with, the, the last part of it, great men are almost always bad men, struck me. Because that's not always true. It's true, I would say, most of the time. But we have an example in the greatest man who ever lived. The most powerful man who ever lived. And you know I'm talking about Jesus. Because whenever it comes to church, that's always the right answer, right? (laughs) Reminds me of a story I heard about the kids in Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher said, Children, what do you call the little animal that stores nuts in the winter with with the fluffy tail? And a boy raises his hand. He says, sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. 
<laughs> Jesus is the, always the right answer. But in this case, it surely is. Right? We have an example in Jesus, who was the most powerful man that ever lived. And he was not bad, but fully good. Good in every way. And Jesus showed his power by doing what no other person ever did preceding him. Jesus. Jesus was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. And he died. And it was witnessed by many, many people. And when he died, they took him down from the cross and they buried him in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose again. That's power. That is the ultimate power. When you can overcome the power of death, I would say that that is the most, example, the most greatest example of power you could ever have. And we have it in Jesus. And then Jesus did, possibly, the most dangerous thing ever recorded in the Bible. He gave that power to us. He gave it freely. He gave it completely. And He gave it despite knowing who we were and who we are. And the danger is that power often corrupts people. But Jesus gave it. And... uh, and he gave, it, he gave it beautifully. Now, I have good news for us today. And the good news is that we have the good news. We have, here in the Bible, a guide of how to use this power and what the use of the power is for. And it's not for just the indiscriminate use of power or for our own advantage. What I love so much about Jesus' gift to us in this beautiful power is that He provided some stipulations. He put in some safeguards and some boundaries. And while He gave it freely, He didn't give everyone access to it. So let's take a look at who has access to this power. And it comes from the Word of God. John 14, 16 and 17. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now listen to this. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So this power is not just, it's given freely and it's given completely, but it's not given to everyone. People who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, they have no access to this power. They cannot tap into it. Jesus says it's not for them. They don't understand it because they don't even see it. They don't believe. So does it mean that all who follow Jesus have access to this power? Yes. We all do. We all have access to it because of who Jesus is to it in our lives. But, but, church, it requires something of us. 
And this is the safeguard that has put in place so that we, um, I'm going to say this right, there's, this is a, there's a safeguard that Jesus put in place so that when we access this power, we access it rightly and using it for what God intended for us to use. Yeah, I like that. The safeguard that Jesus put in place for all the believers who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. The safeguard that Jesus put in place is this. That we are to have an authentically repentant heart. Okay? I'm going to let that sink in so that we can talk about what that means to have an authentically repentant heart. See, to access the Holy Spirit, we need to have a repentant heart because repentance puts people back into a right relationship with God. That's the whole, the whole heart of what repentance is. To put people back into a right relationship with Jesus and, and a relationship that is based not on our values, but on the way God intended for us to be in relationship with Jesus. That is what repentance is. And, and, and unless you have a repentant heart and prepare yourself so that you're in right relationship with Jesus, and that relationship is not based on how I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but the way that God intended for us to be in relationship with Jesus, when we get to that place, when we are repentant and, and give up of ourselves and what our desires are and accept what God has for us, we have access to the power that Jesus offers to us in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I have a book that I left over here that I want to share with you. It's an old book. Some of you are very familiar with it. It's this book called The Cross and the Spirit. Peter and the Way of Holiness by Dr. Frank Carver. I was a student of Dr. Carver at Point Loma and read this as a college student and had this on my bookshelf. And as we came to Pentecost Sunday, I pulled this down and read it again. And I was reminded of some powerful truths. And I'm going to quote from this in a little bit about what Dr. Carver wrote and was so fun to read it. You know why? As I read that, I could hear his voice. And uh, it reminded me of sitting in his class and, and hearing the lecture that Dr. Carver gave. And reading that book again revealed to me something about what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. More than anything, I'm going to say something that is a little different and controversial maybe. I don't think so, but follow me with this. More than anything, I think as I read that book and really thought a lot about this, the Holy Spirit empowers people to love Jesus the way God intended. And that's the, that's the foundation of all that I'm going to talk about and what I hope that we get to at the end of this sermon. That the Holy Spirit empowers people to love Jesus the way God intended. And the byproduct of this love relationship that we have with Jesus, loving Him the right way, not our way, but the way God intended, the byproduct of that helps us to be a powerful witness, gives us the courage to speak, 
and even does what the Holy Spirit does when He convicts our hearts of sin. And that's because we are in right relationship with Jesus. Not our way, but His way. And all that the Holy Spirit empowers people to do comes back to the empowerment of our lives to love Jesus the way God intended. You see, we see this clearly and perfectly through the life of Peter. right? The person that God used more than anybody else in Pentecost. And so, if you have your Bibles, you're at Acts chapter 1. Just turn back a few pages to, Acts chapter, uh, to John chapter 21. And we see the story of Jesus interacting with Simon Peter powerfully. In, Acts, in John chapter 21, Jesus is on the shore watching the disciples fail at fishing again. I fail at fishing quite a bit. And I wish Jesus would help me in that. <laughs> and Jesus calls out to them and says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do that and they pull in a miraculous catch of fish. And if you have read the Gospels before, you know that this is the second time that this has happened in the life of Simon Peter. And because of that, he recognizes Jesus and, and he, he jumps into the water and swims to Jesus uh, onto the shore. You guys know, some of you know this story very well. And Jesus gets the fish that they have caught and he's already got a fire and he cooks the fish up and he prepares breakfast for them. And you can just picture this Jesus sitting there with his disciples surrounding him. And then he begins to interact with Simon Peter. And the first time that Jesus had his interaction with Simon Peter, see, that's happened twice. The first time, there were some very beautiful similarities to it. The first, both times, they caught a miraculous catch of fish. Both times, Jesus says to Peter, with, using these very same words, follow me. And both times, Simon Peter repents authentically before the Lord. The first time, in Luke chapter 5, Simon Peter recognizes who he's with. And he knows he's in trouble because he's lived a life that's not worthy of being in the presence of the Son of God. And so you know what, you remember what Simon Peter says? He says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Authentically repenting, knowing who Jesus is. And Jesus responds, Simon, from now on I will teach you to be a fisher of men. And here, in this second time, Simon Peter repents again. He doesn't use the same words. And Jesus' interaction with him is very different. But if you have your Bibles open, follow me along. And Jesus asks Simon, sitting around all the disciples there, and in a very moment of, of authenticity, Jesus asks Simon, and you notice that he doesn't use Peter, right? His given name, the rock. He was no longer a rock at this point. It goes back to who he was before. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Wow. Simon knows exactly 
<laughs> what he had just done. Denied Jesus three times. Did everything to save his own skin. Even though he said, no matter where you go, Lord, I will, I will die for you. That's what he said. But he didn't mean it. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon, sitting around with all the other disciples, looking at Simon, <laughs> knowing what he knows, the answer clearly is no. But Simon answers, yes. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. So Jesus answers, asks him a second time, Simon, do you love me? And Simon gives the same response. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus asks him the third time. And this breaks Simon's heart. But Jesus was getting to something deeper. And Simon's answer is so revealing. Jesus asks him a third time, Simon, do you love me? And listen to the response of Simon Peter. He says this, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Do you notice something different in Simon's response to Jesus? There's a word missing. The word is yes. Do you know why that's so important? Because Jesus is asking Simon, Simon, do you love me as God? Intended for you to love me? And Simon's initial response is, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Simon, Jesus says, Really? Simon, do you love me the way God intends for you to love me? And Simon responds, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. So Jesus asks him the third time. And the last time he cannot say the words yes. Because he doesn't. But he's honest and he says, you know all things. You know I love you. And I think that's where so many people stand today. We love Jesus. But we love Jesus the way we want to love him. And we don't love him the way God calls us to love him. The way God created us to love him. And in that moment, Simon repents. His beautiful repentance right there. And I love what Frank, um, Frank Carver writes in his book. And this is a quote. Peter, Jesus led Peter to tenderly see himself at his worst, at his weakest, as he really is. Peter is now broken for use. He's thoroughly humbled. All self-sufficiency is gone. This is Peter's complete repentance, fully admitting that the love for which Jesus asks is beyond him. Now enter the Holy Spirit, the one who empowers us to fully love Jesus as he is called to be loved by us. The Holy Spirit enables Simon Peter to love Jesus as God intended and that leads Simon Peter to boldly be an authentic witness 
and speak powerfully on the day of Pentecost. And you know what we see so beautifully take place in Simon Peter's life? Simon shares this newfound wisdom on the, in the sermon that he shares uh, in Pentecost. In uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. This is what Simon Peter preaches as he's there on the day of Pentecost. Look at the first words there. Repent. Align your heart in right relationship with God. Not the way you want to, but the way God intends. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And this is what we get. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Church, repentance is the greatest recognition of our love for Jesus. And it is the safeguard that Jesus sets in place to receive this amazing power because repentance realigns our relationship with Jesus the right way. Not our way. God's way. And it is the prerequisite for the Holy Spirit. Repentance recognizes that we do not call the shots in this love relationship that we have with Jesus. It puts Jesus squarely where He should be. And we are called to love Jesus as God intends us to love Him. And so in closing today, I have three questions for you. I ask myself these same questions. Do you love Jesus more than these? Do you love Jesus? And do you love Jesus the way God intends? When Jesus asked Simon Peter that question, he didn't say, Simon, come to the altar and pray now. (laughs) He let Simon be where he was at. And that's what I'm going to leave you to do, to be where you're at. But to ponder these three questions for your own heart and allow you to answer these questions for yourself. Because I'm asking myself that question right now. And with that, my prayer is that we can respond wholeheartedly and honestly And say, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And forgive me if I have loved you my own way. Forgive me for not seeing the depth of your love for me. Help me, Lord, to respond to your love the way I ought to. That's what I think the day of Pentecost is about. The Holy Spirit's empowerment for all of us to love God the way God intends for us to love Him. Would you sit with that for a moment as our worship team leads us in this next song? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? And would you allow that great love that God intends for us to have for Jesus to come alive in you today?